I don't think he'll interrupt too much. All right. Well, yeah. ADHD is not a uh, there's not a shortage of it in this little corner of the internet. I'm afraid. <laughs> that I don't not. think the internet is helping making it any better for all of us. Yeah. So, well, let, let's let's begin with with you. Why don't you? Uh, yeah. I, I, listening to that rooster just reminds me of years living in the Dominican Republic. <laughs> Those doggone things um, grow all day long. Yeah. No. Um, yeah. Right now, I'm living in a farm with my. If he keeps going, I'll move. But right now, I'm living um, sort of just outside of Adelaide with my partner, my six-month-old daughter, and her parent and my, my partner's parents. Um, uh, I'm a trainer and a, like a personal trainer and a poet. And um, uh, I've been following you since I think 2017. Ooh, very early. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, like majority of the time it was like, I think the situation that you was were seeing on the other side was very true. It was like you'd put up a lot of videos, but it was the only ones with Jordan Peterson that I'd really watch. <laughs> and um, uh, yeah, like I was, I was figuring out that phenomenon. Um, I was following Jordan probably from 2006, 17 really on. And I still quite don't know how to make out of it. Uh, and um yeah, slowly started. The interesting thing was I was a, in the slam poetry scene and it, which was very, very politically active. And I was very, I was organizing events and I was running them and doing so much. And then I didn't realize how full of woke politics or whatever it was until um i saw jordan and then i realized sort of oh okay there's actually a lot that i'm not considering and for the first few years it was it was treating treating jordan was like a treating jordan like a ted talk or like a a a good scholar and it was like i'm learning a little more about politics and i'm learning more about like psychology and the longer and longer it goes it went on. I started reading Tolkien and then I was like, oh, okay, so there's actually something much deeper that he's sort of referring to. And he has kind of always been referring to. Um, it just took me a short while to sort of get down to the layer that I could understand. It was really interesting. Um what, what, tell me about tell me about the household you were raised in. Um, yeah, uh, I'm the oldest of two. Okay, no, no church. Uh, my part, my my dad's my dad was the my dad was the first one to ask why are we going to church, and my grandfather was going to church because you go to church. Um, so he didn't really have much of a <laughs> bulletproof reasoning behind it. And, um, my mom was always, 
trying to understand it and coming up with different answers and thought that coming up with different different answers was was more important. Uh, so we didn't grow up uh, with religion, uh, but we I learned how to meditate. I learned um, different sort of points of different aspects and types of spirituality through them. Um, I, um, I don't know, six, seven years old, I had a really strong interest in Buddhism. Six, and, seven um, years old at an interest in what, what on earth caused yeah. a six year old to be interested in Buddhism? Kung Fu, mate. Kung Fu. <laughs> <laughs> They'll get you, you, you get, you get in all those easy ones, man. You're just like, I mean, and. You know, we were talking about ADD before. Like, you ever see a seven-year-old kid in a white and orange robes doing perfect handstands on a single finger in a perfect serene leg? You're like, but like, how do you stay still? Like, what are you doing? And mm, <laughs> it was it was definitely the bribery of the kung fu um, that got me onto it, but. It was valuable. I learned a lot in it, and I was saying to Nate, um, when I went when I met it to high school, I was very much into it because you can also be antagonistic and Buddhist at the same time when you're in a Christian society. And I went to a Lutheran school, and my pastor was actually really supportive. Um, it was something I realized where it's just like it's they just really appreciate it when you care. It's like when you when you actually have an opinion, it's almost like yeah, whatever, it's all right, take it. You're already differentiating yourself from the crowd. Oh, he cares about something. There's hope. <laughs> yeah, um, and um, yeah, that was the majority of it um, until I went overseas and I went to an actual Buddhist country. And I said this tonight, and I was just like, I I don't think you can be Buddhist unless you're in a society like that like there is so much in the way that they operate in their daily lives that is that you that if you don't have it it feels like you're missing a large portion of it like um they you hear prayers like six times a day just openly like in every corner of the temple um people become novices like which are on the way to monks, not because they want to, but because to they they are honoring a passing relative, or sometimes they can't. They just take the education, and on top of that, they have to wake up at this time in the morning and walk around their village collecting food from strangers, and they're only allowed to eat that food that they're given. And it's just like when there is such an intense community and there's such a like intense network of how people are sort of relating to each other. It's just like sitting, meditating, contemplating this strange, I don't know. It's like, it almost turns neoplatonic in some academic way. And then you look and, and then at the same time, it becomes very polytheistic and it talks about some incredibly crazy mythologies. It's just like you can't you can't help but put your own 
intentions in there. You can't help but um, not really sort of pay attention to what you might needing might be needing to pay attention to. And also, you also get called into a life that basically not many people can do. Like, um, it, it, it's interesting learning about like spiritual perfection within a Christian sense, but it's a lot more personal that you can access. Whereas it, the only thing you can really do is follow the eightfold path and the four noble, noble truths. And the first of the noble truth, all life is suffering. The second noble truth, all suffering is from attachment to the material world. And it's just like, okay, so separate, separate, separate. And it's just like, okay. And yeah, I slowly, I started reading a lot of Tolkien um, and then got into a lot of Lewis and then I started listening to a lot of you and Peugeot, like going really, really into it. And then I think I, I, I want to say it was uh, Andrea, Andrea with the bands. You had a conversation with her and I don't know if it was the first or second one, but you had a strange, you actually had a strange forcefulness in your conversation with her, which was really interesting um, because it was the first time you kind of said like, the only thing we can do is be a good Christian or like the only thing we can do is operate at the, at a good being because you were talking to another Christian. That's kind of how the conversation went. And I realized I was like, Oh, okay. I actually have to, I have to be in this. And so, yeah, I've, I've started going to church, started reading a lot more into it. Um, and uh, I'm still way more confused than I was when I started. Well, the, the confusion doesn't just go away in this world. Um, there's there's plenty, there's plenty of that to go around. Um, no, but you get a lot of wonder. You do get a lot of wonder. Yeah, that's true, too. That's true, too. So... Um, what yeah, what what have you noticed? In, what what kind of a church are you going to, and what have you what have you noticed? Uh, I go to Catholic. Uh, I go to the only church that does a Tridentine Latin Mass, um, and um, the main thing I've noticed is. It's, what's the best way to put it? The stuff that I disagree the most with within the church, um, whether that just be the discipline stuff or whether that be uh, the judgments on peoples and their behavior and stuff like that, it's become, the, it's become more useful to me by not by allowing myself to have it only apply to me and have it only be reflected into things that I have happened in my life and how I wrestle with problems and how I wrestle with authority and things. Cause I remember like 
my friend invited me to the church and then we started talking about it and he was just like, well, you can't do this. You can't do this. You can't do this. You up for it? And like, my first thing was, nope, immediately. And I was just like, oh my God. I'm just like, immediately, the moment I'm asked to do anything, I say no. And I thought mm. that was really curious. And I was like, that's that's surprising. And I think, you know, it's been good having Jordan on the way as well, because like the Israel, the wrestle, those who wrestle with God was like, a wrestling match is something that does require you to lose and does require me to sort of fail. Like, and it's just like, oh, there's like some stuff. I'm like, I don't think I can do it. It was like, you know, you, the, the goal isn't to do it. The goal is to wrestle with it. Um, that's been cool. And <clears throat> I thought it was really strange. Um, my perception of Jesus just keeps getting crazier and crazier and crazier. It's, um, the, as I said to Nate, the last thing that really made sense in Christianity was the crucifixion, which is, which I think is really strange, but at the same time, I don't know because, um, I had nothing to relate to with the sacrifice with the crucifixion. And it, you know, it was like Jesus died for our sins. I'm like, okay. Uh, like the, with that much context and that much effort, I, I, it felt as important as any other moment in history. And I was just like, oh, but slowly starting to understand that basically you're meant to be front and center right next to him in the Bible. You're meant to be, put your entire body in there and experience it as you would, as if you were like right in front of him. And when you do that into the crucifixion, um, I mean, I don't know if I think it, it seems endless uh, to how meaningful that action can be. But then it also just washes out and goes back into the rest of his life and the gospels. And, um, this sort of becomes crazier and crazier again. What is your, what is your, uh, what does your partner think of your religious interest? Does she join you in this? Um, is this your, is this your journey? How does that play out? Uh, it's definitely my journey. Um, she's, um, she has a very personal relationship with um, religion and spirituality um i sort of i leave it i leave it i leave it best to her she she grew up high anglican and still considers uh and still considers herself um anglican as well um but it's it's within her i think she when we talked about it and i talk about it badly because i'm a terrible evangelist of my position i'm just like i don't know what's going on this is this is very confusing for me still um but she prays in silence she she thinks spirituality um the most important thing about it is the peace that it brings an individual and i yeah i think like that's the the counterbalance that we have for each other um so majority of the time i you know 
you're on in the background she'll she'll have a, a vague idea of some stuff um but she has a lot more of the she's more more closer to a lot of the intuitive things that sort of people talk about like uh her and shari have a have a lot in common sometimes um and which is really really cool to see um but yeah she's she's a yoga instructor who sort of sees a lot of people talk their spirituality and kind of not really think about the other person listening and so i think she she likes to keep her spirituality to herself and let everybody else do as they will um how long have you been together uh coming up to two years uh we met in a bar was both after a serious breakup and we were, I, I bought a one-way ticket to new zealand because i was done and she was she was going to have um a beautiful time in, in single land um and <laughs> we met and i was like i'm not letting go of you ever and then I think six months later, uh, she was pregnant. We knew it was, we knew we were serious. We knew we wanted a future. And so it was something that we were ready to embrace. Um, and yeah, it's been really interesting. And now I'm living with her parents and have a child and so much to contend with. Do you have any, have any wedding plans yet? But yes, yes. Um, they're just they're just contingent upon the money <laughs> and organization and stuff like that. But definitely. She wants a big wedding, so it's just like, okay, oh. so we we know it's going to happen. So now we just have to work on that very large, <laughs> very large wedding, very large organization. Okay. Um yeah, no, it's been it's been really interesting uh going through the process with her um she's very vulnerable she she seems vulnerable when i uh invite her to come to church and stuff like that and um very tentative because she sees a lot of people or she feels like a lot of people would put down her ideas or her importance of the faith and her importance of liturgy and things like that. And, um, you know, people are very, a lot, a lot of people, I think, who especially were intensely in it at a young age who had to leave are probably one of the hardest people to sort of come back. But that's sort of like, is only really when, you know, the goal is to get them to, be right next to you and that's not really the goal i guess so what what did you um, what, did, what did you want to what did you want to talk about today um i don't know it's a lot it's a lot hard to think of everything at 5 a.m but um, yeah that's true that's true this is this is i mentioned i mentioned to you early on i had a conversation with a woman from australia and i hadn't i hadn't been to australia yet and wasn't fully mm. cognizant of the the weird time differential between California and Australia. And mm. so I don't know how we settled at the time, but it was like early in the morning and she was barely awake. <laughs> it's just like, <laughs> it's, 
what's going on so yeah. then when you, you suggested these times i thought wow brave man yeah brave man yeah that's it oh, i work in cafes it's, it's easy enough i was been very lucky shari I've, I've spoken to shari luke and nate um and they've all happily had me on it one o'clock in the afternoon my time and i'm just like oh this is perfect <laughs> then they keep going it's like okay it's like 12 o'clock i'm going i really gotta get going I'm like, okay um mm, i don't know um i'm interested in maybe what your thoughts are on um gnosticism because um it feels like and Gnosticism and, I don't know, spiritual epiphany or revelation, because in some senses it does actually feel like I was lucky in being able to see Christianity. Um, it feels like over the last three years, a lot of people have had to confront their sense-making apparatus and they've had to question a lot of things and the the question of meaning and sort of what that actually re- and that relation to their life and the relation between their life and the world um, has sort of come up. And I don't know, it, it looks as if a lot of the time people are just They're, they're seeing what's in front of them and what offers them the most meaning and then they're latching onto it. Whether or not that's spirituality, whether or not that's, you know, an extreme QAnon or going the other way or even whether or not it's a new thing like Islam or um, stuff like that. I've been listening a lot to James Lindsay again recently. He... He's a really good person to listen to, but my God, there is so much that he has read and it's just, it's a, it's a level of research that I'm almost overwhelmed by. Yeah, yeah. Um, and it seems like he, like the, it seems like he's just like, this thing goes back into the moment that we were able to think, like we were at this war with somebody who was trying, we were at like, yeah, the, this, not religion or this this spiritual mode of thought was in contrast to sort of this Christian way of thinking or pretty much from the beginning. And then wherever there was a ghost of a Christian thought before Christ, it was, it was there as well. And it seems like there's this thing in our past that's ever present in every type of faith, every type of um, ideology. Um, and it seems very easy for people to get a hold of. Um, I don't know. It, like a lot of, uh, it gets a lot of spiritual, a lot of, like to me, spirituality, a lot of it is more acceptance and um, surrender in a sense. And so it seems like maybe that's why a lot of people sort of end up being where they sort of land because 
of that, the spiritual understanding that they do have to give away some authority or they have to give away some uh, control away from themselves. But yeah, I don't, that's, that's my start, I suppose. Well, it's, I, I used to know a lot more of what we were talking about when we talked about Gnosticism until I learned more because it yeah. seems that there are lots of, um, there are lots of, you know, it's, this isn't unusual, of course. I mean, because when you talk about Christianity, it is such a vast, um, it's such a vast thing that what, you know, what aspect of Christianity, because there are a lot of competing definitions that, that people are using for the term, for example, on Karen Wong's channel, she just had a, um, she just had a conversation with Michael, who's in, who's very much an OG in this little corner, because Karen had listened to a, a podcast with James Lindsay on the Sovereign Nations. I haven't listened to that podcast, but it seems I listened to a little bit of it. it seems like lately James Lindsay's been talking a lot about Gnosticism, and and mm -hmm. the difficulty. And then Karen basically gave her definition of Gnosticism, which is was definitely a piece of um, a piece of one of the one of the ancient traditions that tend to get labeled as Gnostic, but it's a broad, broad thing. And for me, mm -hmm. the easiest way to sort of think about Gnosticism is to think about upper and lower registers, upper being mind, heaven, uh, spirit, lower being matter, um, brain, uh, earth, and, mm -hmm. and Gnosticism tends tends to go like this. For example, in Gnostic Gospels, mm -hmm. Judas is the hero because he facilitates the releasing of Jesus from his physical body. And ah. in that way, the perfecting of Jesus is the loss of the of of his physicality and the pure spirit that Jesus becomes. Now, there's all sorts of there's all sorts of philosophical and religious traditions that you can that you can see through this frame. And you know, mm -hmm. when you talk about Buddhism and attachment, well, one way to think about it is that way too. Um, yeah. And and so part of part of what, and you can even think about this in terms of Jerusalem and Athens, because the Hebrews were very Hebrew is very is a very material. Uh, is a very material language. Mm. It's very action oriented. It's very physical. The Greeks yeah. tend to get much more idea, you know, idealistic. So you can have idealism that sort of floats up there too. So it's there's so when we talk about Gnosticism, we talk about we we can potentially be talking about a lot of different things. I think mm -hmm. key to understanding the I see and this this too is going to get debated and even I mean Nate Nate has a corner of the corner of the internet and there's certain conversations that tend to revolve around Nate just like there's all these little sub corners within the corner which so that sort of con, you know constellate around certain channels so Nate has a channel and Grizz has a channel and Jacob has a channel and not all the channels get along and so but they are yeah. sort of connected in some ways thanks to Jordan Peterson so mm. um 
so I think I think part of I think so, something foundational to Christianity is the idea that it's about heaven. It's about where heaven and earth, earth meeting. I, I noticed mm-hmm. this fairly early on, fairly early on. I noticed this a long time before I ever got involved in YouTube or any of this kind of stuff. When I began to, I, I, growing up in a, a moderately conservative Protestant denomination, you you sort of get the idea that the story is about heaven and hell. And the more you read the Bible and the more you start reading the Bible better, you begin to get a sense that the story is about heaven and earth. And hell is um, hell is a piece of the conversation, but the main story is about heaven and earth. And yeah. you know, it was perhaps you know N.T. Wright that sort of clued me into that fairly early on. And and that then, you know, continued on. And then when you get to Jonathan Peugeot and Matthew Peugeot's book, you begin to see, mm-hmm. okay, heaven and earth, heaven and earth. And then Gnosticism begins to make more sense. And then the Gnostic Gospels make more sense because, mm-hmm. and then you begin to understand like some forms of Gnosticism that imagine there were sort of two gods, the God of the, the, the creator of the physical world was a, um, a second tier, second class um, not the highest God because materiality, and the Greeks noted this, materiality is subject to decay. And the mm. Greeks tended to like the ideal, the immaterial. For example, C.S. Lewis will play on this on this stuff a lot too, because C.S. Lewis mm-hmm. makes the point that, you know, basically every instantiation of love will end in betrayal or death. Whereas love itself, and then we're we're sort of talking about an ideal. And so Gnosticism tends to be the the upper half of the register. It tends to be where it's located. And it just depends. Sometimes it's up here. Sometimes it's down here. But it's sort of mm-hmm. about the separation of heaven and earth. And I I see I see Christianity as the uh, the denial. Um, basically God gets to God gets what he wants in that yeah then then with the resurrection you see the end of the age of decay the resurrected Christ no longer subject to decay what does that mean and and when you get down to this level of analysis and this level of definition and focus things can tend to get weird because you know, for example, in First Corinthians 15, it's talking about Jesus having a spiritual body. Now, depending on sort of what your assumptions about what you mean by spirit, so then mm-hmm. we're, we're we're back into this question of you know spirit versus flesh, um, mind mm-hmm. versus matter. I mean, some of these dualities, and you and you, you just start working through these things. So, James mm-hmm. Lindsay talking about Gnosticism is is sort of interesting given his roots as a new atheist and just just mm-hmm. what has happened to new atheism itself is sort of a fascinating story in that you've got some new atheists like James Lindsay and Peter Bogosian who have mm-hmm. in some ways sort of become completely aligned with conservative Christians, <laughs> you would just think yeah. this is just insane. And 
So, but that's, that's, that's the way, that's the way these kind of fights go, I guess. So yeah, that's Gnosticism is a difficult, when, when you want to talk about Gnosticism at some point, you're, you're always going to have a conversation like, okay, what exactly are we talking about? Because the definition is mm. so broad and people are just trying to stay on the same page and have a productive conversation. Yeah, I agree. I've like a lot, a lot of what I think, a lot of the dangers I, I think with Gnosticism is you is within Gnosticism there is also sorcery, and to me, like there's a really interesting paradigm that I've sort of been noticing, uh, an interesting pattern I've been noticing within it at looking at a phenomenon, looking at a discipline and gaining insight from it is an incredibly human experience. But the switch that can happen on either one, on everyone, feels like there is a mode in which they can project it and a mode in which they can reflect it onto them. And like Gnosticism as a is very very easy to project things because it's more and more into into the head like you said um i think judas being the hero is like a call to those kinds of the kind of person a lot of the kinds of people who starts to say well there's no such thing as good or evil because no action is complete without declaring the opposite. And everybody sort of goes, well, there is no such thing as good and evil. Ultimately, it's all comes out. And it is that idea that they are more, because they know that, that is the process in which they sort of are coming to a spiritual revelation the interesting thing i've i've noticed as well is uh, the interesting thing that nate sort of wants to, to always wants to remember is that mysticism yes uh, <laughs> mysticism is mysticism is a necessary part of a spiritual experience which is what the gnostics sort of promote i guess or the embody the most um like to say go with james Lindsay, alexandria was blocked out by jerusalem and athens um and to me like in the truest sense of like what unavoidable gnosticism or what um to me, like if like if you can replace Christianity and Judaism, or, and like if you can see Judaism and Greco-Roman sort of politics and culture and life and the way in which mysticism was done, and you can try and trying to see them with as little particularity as possible, the more like just in the raw form ideas they are, it seems like a, they are lenses in which we see the world and you can't have 
a fully material lens because there's too much world, you'll get nothing done. It's you can't explain anything because there's nothing is in root common to each other. And you also can't be too ideal because before long you'll be talking about things that have no relevance to the connection of the world that you're in. Right. And right. um mysticism isn't mysticism kind of reminds me about more like faith. It's this unavoidable thing that you have to have when you want to act in the world. It's there's there's this like to me faith is this action that is almost that is constant. Like to that was something that I learned as well. It was like learning that faith and doubt weren't opposites. It was faith and inaction. Because you're always, I'm always operating on a basis of faith. <laughs> like, I mean, I'm talking to you on the other side of the world. Faith, faith and, and doubt are in that sense out. sort of an opponent processing. Um, yeah. You don't, you don't want to, people who have faith, people who have no discrimination with respect to faith uh, wind up dead pretty fast because they, they, <laughs> do, they trust too much. Uh, people yeah. who have um, no resistance to doubt never do anything because they trust mm. too little. And so faith and doubt are sort of an opponent processing. Opponent. Yeah, the, mysticism, mysticism like Gnosticism is one of those words that you, you sort of have to be careful with in that, okay, well, what exactly are we talking yeah. about with respect to mysticism? Because it can have, it can very much have a phenomenological referent in which multiple religions sort of mm. share uh practice and an experience of you know mm. that you can describe you can try to describe the ineffable experience that mysticism points to um which is of course always always difficult and but but it's um you you then do have to because mysticism tends to point to an ineffable experience which you can find the Apostle Paul, for example, um, re referring referring to an ineffable experience, and you can find people of various religions and uh, people with many other things in this world pointing to ineffable experiences. Obviously, the difficulty you have in everyone pointing to ineffable experiences is the things that all these experiences have in common is um, ineffability. That won't really <laughs> help you if um if you're trying to draw if you're trying to connect and this is again where heaven and earth if you're trying to connect those experiences with the far broader menu of action that mm -hmm. human mm -hmm. life both requires and i think all of us rightly yeah um assert human life should have so and and so I think, like with many mm. things, there's sort of a you can you can run into trouble by just blanketly denying mysticism and say, oh, it's a whole bunch of BS. I don't think it's a bunch of BS. I don't think you would have as I don't think you would have mm. experiences like this that have been as formative and profound within human history if it was all simply BS. But at the same time, you can make too much of it mm -hmm. because all right. Um, well, if you if if you're really into that, you should probably just become a monk 
um, because that's where you'll really be able to get into that. And as you said about, you know, mm. Buddhism in terms of scaling out within, let's say, a full cultural framework, um, it it requires mm. it requires sort of that full that full cultural framework, much of which has broken down in many places of the world. Not all the place. I mean, the the Roman Catholics continue to have a monastic mm. tradition. The Orthodox continue to have a monastic tradition, and there mm -hmm. are other religions that have significant monastic traditions. So, to me, the easiest way to point to that is to mm -hmm. say that's that's a register of life as human beings. It's extremely difficult to compare the yeah. ineffable using all of these tools that we tend to use to draw distinctions because again back to the definition of ineffable um how are you going to analyze pull down i mean you can't do it so just there it is that's what it is mm -hmm. and um but yeah. if you're asking things yeah. like what does it mean to what do i need to do to construct a a life in this world well, unless you're going to sort of go into that, yeah. um, it's it's just going to be a sort of over there. So that's and and, yeah. and so yeah, and so I, in a lot of ways, what I find is a lot of the conversations around mysticism tend to be either promotion, defensiveness around it, or attacking it. But it's very difficult mm. to talk about the it because, by definition, that it resists mm. explication with the tools we generally use to explain so that's kind of how i look on that yeah definitely that thing yeah that makes sense that makes that makes a lot of sense and also makes sense as to like you almost can't get rid of it as well because everybody has ineffable experiences i think one of the most interesting things is how in this sort of age of decay kind of world everybody makes a religion out of everything yes indeed. because there is a spirit there is a spiritual uh, there is a mystical aspect to driving a car or writing a novel or That's right you know i used to be a bartender making a drink and yep. things like that yep yeah and it's very it's very easy to i think people are much happier leaving people in those corners without really knowing what that actually does because yeah i think the monk i think to see it as a as someone fits within a world as a monk makes a lot of sense because a lot of a lot of problems that i see is when people think everybody should be feeling what they're feeling when they're doing it's, it's it and a it's generous just... thought but it's uh it doesn't <laughs> it doesn't scale well or easily you know, think no. about, for example, one of the most common ineffable experiences that human beings have is, let's say, sexual orgasm. And it's like, mm. okay, uh, describe your orgasm to me. <laughs> and so on one hand, well, you can go ahead and try. And people yeah. certainly do. But, you know, a described orgasm is a very different thing from the orgasm itself. <laughs> and, and, and nobody around the world is going to say orgasms don't exist. No, they really do exist. Yeah, uh, People aren't <laughs> going to sort of dismiss orgasms as satanic, 
Um, no, there are better and worse settings for orgasms, but um, orgasms happen. So yeah, <laughs> it's and, like and it's so, just it's always going to be there. It's it's well, we hope. <laughs> <laughs> Definitely, it's yeah, it's it's really interesting because I think that was like that mindset of going of trying to explain the orgasm is 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 that trying to explain people into utopia well c.s lewis has this great um has this great illustration where um you know trying to talk about sex to a child hopefully a child who has been brought up well has never experienced um you know sex is is naive etc cetera, etc cetera, all that wonderful and the child asks will there be chocolate and, <laughs> and, and the adult is kind of thinking you know um <laughs> it, it's in just the child can't the child because it's sort of the inside outside thing where you know ha if you if you have experienced sexual orgasm you have you have a certain knowledge you, there's been an initiation into it that the child um praise be to god mm. has not had and so the question is does it involve chocolate um is a fun question which reveals <laughs> that the child is happily naive and and we hope that you know you know it's quite likely that the child at some point will um experience this very common form of human ineffability and then the chocolate question will be answered. <laughs> That's fantastic. Yeah, it makes sense. The, the way in which... Do you think the ineffable experience is one of the contributions to the age of... to the decay of the world? Because a lot of the problems that I see the main reason people are less com people are less comfortable within different groups or people feel judged by a certain group or people feel critical like uh we just had uh cardinal pell uh pass away and um in the catholic church this is a tragedy but in the secular world this is a victory oh cardinal pell uh, was uh he there was some. It was. A, he was a major pedophilia case in Australia. Was because I remember when I was in Australia, he was talking was, about Cardinal Pell. Essentially, yeah. I mean, I, I don't know, so I'm going to explain this terribly, but I'll do it. Um, he was the bishop during a large amount of pedophilia oh, okay, cases. Okay. Okay. Um, he was accused and exonerated, but he, but essentially, it was he was not. It, it looked like from the outside he was permitting it, um, not firing people, not punishing people. Um, I'm only just really learning the Catholic position on this now. <laughs> so uh, I don't know quite exactly how to back the horse, but a lot of most of my secular friends are going like they might like very, very violently like going absolutely not. Yeah. Um, 
It, it's amazing that thing. it's amazing that mm -hmm. a world full of people who tend to be liberationist with respect to sexuality are um, can can very quickly become extremely judgmental and demanding when it comes <laughs> to an incident like this. It's like, oh, so um, and this is where, you know, this is where we don't we don't really leave our tyrannies. Um, we, we, we don't usually yeah. exile our tyrannies too far. We want them within reach when we think they are. They need to be applied. Yeah. So, yeah, definitely, it's 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 interesting. Been like being in the Catholic circle after being on the outside for so long. Because, I mean, nobody really complains about Orthodox people that much. That's because um, nobody but, knows uh, about them. They're, they're at least in our <laughs> parts of the world. There are so few of them. They haven't. They haven't yeah. had a chance to scale up and get themselves into trouble that gets in the newspaper yet. But yeah, exactly. Um, I will. I will assume that if you go into, um, you know, behind the Iron Curtain, part of the reason for this is was of course the Iron Curtain itself, which yeah. sort of suppressed all of that and kept all that away. And now, of course, mm. it's it's. But you you know yeah. you asked about the Age of Decay and the Ineffable, and again, I yeah. think Lewis is is super helpful with this in that. Mm. Um, the the ineffable because it tends to be upper register is part of our experience of non-decay um the the okay. ineffable experience tends to be an eternal experience it's a timeless experience um you know you generally generally speaking and again i'll use boy why boy what a crazy conversation that how the orgasm has come up into this um <laughs> beware of your illustrations because they will haunt you but i mean one one <laughs> doesn't generally look at their watch in the middle of an orgasm because they want to i mean you have to you, you sort of have a sense that that's 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 sort of eternal and and again um mm. in in descriptions or refer referring to ineffability you know like the apostle paul does in the new testament no eye has seen no ear has heard i mean these kinds of things tend to be eternal as register and so not sort of chronological time they're yeah. kairos time not chronos time so um and and that's and that's very much part of the the what the convert the biblical conversation with respect to decay and and that's also part of you know the um the debate that goes on even within this little corner about well what what exactly are we talking about when we're talking about the eschaton is it sort of a mm. is it sort of a, a register shift where it all goes to upper register or is it mm. a um is it something that we move into at some point? I mean, Jesus, for example, this week in, in my sermon, there's more references of, you know, when the son of man comes, there was in my last week's sermon and there's, or in this week's sermon, Jesus continues to talk in the gospels about the coming of the son of man as a, you know, a culmination of a lot of the processes and struggles that are going on. The coming of the Son of Man is when the weeds and the wheat are harvested together. The coming of the Son of Man is when the dragnet takes all of these fish out of the sea and they get separated. So mm -hmm. um, the New Testament very much places 
that on a timeline it's hard not mm -hmm. to see it that way but that then invokes a lot of conversation about the fact that the ineffable even though um even though the age of decay is still very much running in the lower register mm. we as christians taste taste and touch the ineffable even while we're in the age of decay and and you see the apostle paul sort of working through that outwardly we are decaying away inwardly in a sense the kingdom is arising and mm. that then I know Nate, Nate, and um, another Nate and Aaron want to do a conversation about hell, which I'll probably agree to because I say yes to way too many things, even things that <laughs> get me into trouble. But, um, but, but those are those are some of the issues that get involved in this, mm -hmm. and and what you see in the Gospels is that it's really hard to talk about these things, and in that way, in some ways, mythological language usually. We sort of erupt. Well, yeah, I think a lot. Like, I've been I've been reading on fairy stories again yeah. by Tolkien, and I think he talks a lot about where that there's a place for the ineffable in the world, like in in that lower register. Um, it's you know funny going back to your illustration as well. He actually says that you should enter one can only enter into fairy with the innocence of a child and in that sense it's almost like you you actually have to still be lower register low enough you have to be low enough to see the world without judging it without pushing down onto it but at the same time it is that place where I mean, he says it himself, like you are out of time. You are sort of seeing, like, I don't like. It feels like fairy, fairy, the fairy realm or whatever that is. It feels like that is the imaginal perspective of looking at a place. It's you can see higher philosophies into it, but they are very easily hidden and they are very easily overwhelmed by other other factors that you can be seen with. I was saying with Nate, it's like, that's like, actually you said, it, you said nature is our sister, like the lowest quote in, in the fairy realm. That's where you can see that because in the upper register, the very high thing is like, Oh, nature is our mother because that's, that's where we come from. That's where we've arisen out of. But it's like, no, nature is our sister because we are growing alongside it because I'm here and seeing it. I'm actually participating. It feels like there is this place where um, we wouldn't quite know where to go with this aside from the fact that like, Fairy doesn't seem to be definable in any other term aside from fairy, which is very strange because I think like mythology has this has a certain sense and hagiography has a certain sense. Fairy is we've we've used fairy tales our entire lives, but there is this thing that 
there is an ineffability about the perspective of fairy that almost seems to be necessary in the way that you see it, in the way that you enter into it, in the way that you behave with it. But it, it's also, I feel like it is that meet, it, it feels like it is the meeting point of significance, ideal, and um, unattainable reality. Right. Right. It's it's why LARPing is so much mm. fun, live action role playing. It's why LARPing yeah. is so much fun because you can you can in a sense you can read a book about Middle Earth and that can be a wonderful experience. Mm -hmm. But that's it's why people make pilgrimages to Peter Jackson's set in New Zealand. Because yeah. and and the same reason why people make pilgrimages to the Sea of Galilee and to the Temple Mount and to all of these places, because yeah. once you know, in a sense, if you're reading Tolkien, you're sort of up here and you're imagining mm -hmm. Middle Earth and Aragorn and and the Hobbits and all of that, and then you visit you visit Hobbiton, even knowing full well that it's just a set put up by Peter yeah. Jackson, or you go to that valley where. Um, you know that you go to that that beautiful valley where Edoras, you know the 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 throne of the Rohirrim was, and mm. you know the, you can watch the you can watch the little supplemental materials to Peter Jackson's movies, and so so in other words, um, there is, and I think this is why this is why Gnosticism finally lost to Christianity because we are embodied creatures we yeah. we long to have um you know what's what's the what what's the competition between reading lord of the rings and having an orgasm that, that's a complicated <laughs> that's a complicated thing to answer now now if your if your orgasm is set within let's say a marriage a lifelong commitment to mm -hmm. another person where there is there are children you know there's extended family there's a home you know suddenly you begin to recognize that what we do as human beings is um we we sort of nest you know we nest heaven in earth mm. and uh, and you know Peugeot talks about that fairly consistently in the Exodus seminar that there's this um it's there's a desire on God's part to embody, which is of course the incarnation, and yeah. that's that's part of why Christian theology takes the the form it does. It's why Nate keeps talking about. Christology um, and Nate keeps like... talking about Christology. Hang on, I'm gonna have to yeah. answer the doorbell here. Right. All right. So sorry about the interruption. Um, That's right. Um, yeah, the the Christology that Nate talks about is is really interesting because it almost becomes everything. Everything is just the image of Christ, and and right. and that's it. It expands out, and it just becomes this entirely reflective thing. I'm not sure if you've been watching the uh, conversations with Raj, but um, <laughs> yeah. There's a lot. There's a lot within that. It's just like, oh, okay. It's just fully coming out. 
Um, yeah, Raj. The, you know, Raj is a Raj and I have had some interesting conversations because the, mm. you know, he talks about the guru, and um, mm. in Sikhi, and and the the relationship between the guru and Christians looking at Christ. So, and, mm. and that's also though I think where um, where where these questions where Christians start talking about the resurrection, you know, in terms of the historical resurrection, the physical resurrection of Christ. I mean, that's yeah. sort of where these things begin to come down, um, yeah. come down together because the resurrection mm. then becomes an event, which enlivens our hope mm. that the physicality that we will enjoy now, most, most, Many religions imagine a a continuation of our story through, you know, apart from physicality, you know, mm -hmm. ghosts, uh, happy hunting grounds, um, you know, Sheol. I mean, many religions have that. Yeah. The the idea you know, part of the reason Christianity made such a huge splash was the argument that um Jesus rose from the dead. It's it's very difficult to you know, Christianity and other religions can have a lot in common with respect to an afterlife, mm -hmm. a moral foundation, um, you know, connections to let's say Neoplatonism. Mm -hmm. um, I mean, there's there's a lot there's a lot that's around there that people can sort of tie into, but this yeah. but the assertion that um, that death was conquered by not a mythological character. And of course, Lewis writes about this more than anyone, not, not a mythological mm. character, but by a character that is as much a flesh and bone as I am and as you are mm. now, suddenly that, that lifts our imagination and our mm. attention to a whole new level. Mm -hmm. because then suddenly and and then the story is not that okay jesus managed to attain this which mm -hmm. okay fair enough but i can participate in that resurrection in as mm -hmm. physical a way as christ did mm -hmm. wow that's a claim yeah, that, and and Lewis again. Lewis writes about this better than just about anyone. That's a claim mm -hmm. that begins sort of stopping everyone else short. Muhammad doesn't mm -hmm. claim that. Um, no, you know Moses doesn't claim that. Uh, none of the other, you know, the, the Siddhartha Gautama doesn't claim that. Mm -hmm. That's no. a that's a that's a an amazing claim and as paul mentions in first corinthians 15 well if it's if it's a lie then we are you know we we are as pitiable as any new atheist might say that we are because we mm -hmm. are placing an enormous hope it might not be that bad because we're participating in all of these other ancient philosophical systems and and okay 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 but the the argument that um, there's a lot mm. that hinges on that point that Lewis really drove into for him. And, and I think, you know, really, really changed his life. 
So, mm. and I, I think that, and for me, that's a big part of why I continue to be the kind of Christian that I am. Mm. It seems like the best description I remember of that issue was when Peterson was talking with Peugeot just as he was getting better. And he nearly broke down into tears when he said, sometimes the material and the narrative touch. Exactly. And yeah, I think, I feel like, I think it is, I think it is, a, it, it is a, it is a crazy thing. Like, um, I said that on Jacob's stream. I said, I, I said the, the, Oh, you're on Jacob's channel too. Yeah. I haven't, uh, one-on-one with him. I just tagged onto a chatting, um, he's hilarious <laughs> and i can't I, wait to I, see I, what he's gonna say about this video yeah definitely <laughs> he said um they, i i said it was like i think it's, it's like i think at the end like in some senses you do always have to kind of remember like the resurrection is just it's ridiculous like when you <laughs> if you think about it in context of so much it's like it's kind of hilarious and jacob's like i agree 100 percent. but like you know it's I always like try to take it on balance because it is that there is this like incredibly sacred moment. It it's almost like the ineffable has gets to become an experience that we can share that, that is real that can exist within the world. That is something that we can participate in and stuff like that, because it's like, if you think about it on an individual level, like the material and the narrative touch all the time. And it's always like, like, you know, I can think like every insignificant memory that you ever have, I suppose is one of those moments or even when you just think about yourself in a different way. When I, when I became, a, when I called myself a poet, I kept on going, back in my mind going oh when did i like poetry and you know more and more moments were kind of always found when i was just like oh this is why i've sort of done it this is why i've sort of embodied that sort of moment and it's like you know it's a it is that collision where meaning and you know the present circumstances find themselves perfectly aligned but try that's hard to do for a family that's hard to do for a neighborhood that's hard to do for that's hard to scale out right. and yeah like it's interesting because all the talk on christ and everything he is that scale like he is the thing that scales and it's partly because he's a man and it's partly because he conquered death and he's partly because he's the son of god it seems like there is it's almost the Everything definition is... of son of God. Yeah. Hmm? It's almost the definition of son of God. We in yeah. in the West, we tend to think when we think about God it's the scale, yeah. It, because that, that's what a son of God is. Is yeah. Um <laughs> that's what a son of God does. <laughs> I mean, it's that language, that language hooks up. And mm. and the fact that you have you know, an entire civilization rolling out. And, mm. and even though that 
you know, like all civilizations within the age of decay, it's always undergoing some transformation of decay and renewal. Mm. Um, Peter Peterson recently, I think I forget which conversation it was in. It was either in the Louise Perry conversation or the Roy um, Sabag conversation. You know, talked mm -hmm. about the fact that we're, I mean, biologically, we're always dying and um, and and renewing. If if mm. our cells don't die, they tend to become cancerous, and then you know they become sort yeah. of a, 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 a an unstable life that will self terminate, a parasitic life. But healthy mm. life is always is always that, and so that's where you know even the the dying and renewing is sort of all part of a continual cycle, even though there's a definitive dying mm. and renewing, making all such yeah. other things derivative and participatory of the one essential thing and so i mean part of the reason we keep bumming bumping into so many of these 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 relationships over and over again is because they are as and peugeot talks about this in better terms than most that they they do sort of continue continue to fractal and repeat within mm. the world and that's why that's why the, the Christian story that you find in the Bible is both sort of a perennial story. It describes mm -hmm. the world as it is, but it is mm -hmm. also an instantiated story that has living persons and events and, you know, in, in sort mm -hmm. of that um, common sense frame that we tend to look at. And that's because it has both. It, mm -hmm. it competes against, you know, the, the continual perennialism that tends to be tends to be detached from earth mm -hmm. and it competes against the perennial earthiness that can't actually touch the mm -hmm. eternality of the upper register that that sounds yeah that's, i'm not sure that description communicated a lot but well um, there's also like the individual exclusive part of the lower register Right. Like the environmental yep. factor. Like I, I still always like, I find it so curious when I like, I learn, you know, the, you hear about the connections of like Christianity to pagan rituals. And like, this is when Christmas was because you see the thing. And I'm like, and I find it really interesting because I'm in Australia. Christmas is in summer. Yeah. Yeah. Like yep. there is no, there yep. is no connection to those types of festivals. So it's like, yep. it, in some ways it feels different. And in some ways it's like, it, you're like, oh, yeah, well, it makes sense. You should have a feast in the middle of winter when you're all miserable and you have to make each other happy and stuff like that. But in the summer, it's just kind of like, all right, I guess we'll meet up next Tuesday and like go go to the beach one more time, I guess. And that particularity that the, the earth sort of has has to be, you have to be real, but you have, but to nest it in a universal is does seem to be the goal of Christianity. The interesting thing, like, I don't know, I've heard some stuff in your videos that sort of point to this as well. Like, like the church almost kind of, the church is this, the church is, this is a symbol of the ideal. The church is the symbol of the perennial place. The problem is it has to exist. And in existing gets caught in the decay and renewal right. of time itself. Yeah. 
the church is right there in the middle yeah and like a lot of the a lot of the big problems i see within um like when people criticize christianity and when people criticize religion they're looking at the they're looking at the earthliness they're looking at what it's uh what it it's fruits in sort of like it's bad fruits and going like oh well how do you have such a like you have this ideal you are above you are like you know literally if, if you we, were so we, ideal how could all of this child molestation happen it's a very yeah. fair point oh, <laughs> you know? very that's fair. why it's so <laughs> devastating yeah yeah I, but did you, you but yeah. you can only sort of leverage that point if you can mm. also say child molestation doesn't happen in schools secular yeah. schools why why is child molestation so devastating in the church but not mm. in your secular educational institutions well obviously it's yeah. devastating to the children in either place but yeah. of course it's because the church has this connection to the upper register mm. and it's and of course nobody i mean jesus Jesus, more than anyone, puts the conversation about hypocrisy on the map. Um, yeah. And, and you know, Jesus Jesus launches an, a whole new way of talking about hypocrisy. And that, um, that rhetorical tool of using hypocrisy to challenge mm. institutions that are supposed to be upper register, and in Jesus' case, it's the religious establishment of his day, um, yeah. You know, he's basically saying, but, but of course, Jesus goes back to the Old Testament prophets who did exactly the same thing. You march yeah. to the kings and you say, you are the king, you are the sub-regent of the Lord of heaven and earth, and this is how you behave. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Well, the interesting thing as well is like, I, I talk about, I talk about this a lot and I sort of like, try, I'm trying to make sure I can, I, I distill this thought a lot. Um, I, I smoked for 12 years straight. And one of the big thing that got me to quit was realizing my life was not going to be different. It was not my physical experience that was actually going to change. And when I did that, I stopped making this smoking, non-smoking thing a judge for me i stopped thinking it in a way of like uh yeah I, I still find it funny i was like oh yeah when i quit smoking i'll no longer have um desires or addictions i'll never have something craving that i'll submit to i'll have an ironclad will i'll be able to organize and you know it just scales on and on and it's just like well no the thing that i'm doing is not i'm not doing it for myself because in in a sense like I'm, I want to do it because I'm healthier, but that actually depends on a lot more aside from what you like, aside from smoking. And it's, it is one of those things where it's like the less I put myself into that judgmental spot, the more I could do something that was a better ideal, a better good. And I feel like a lot of the times when I, people do criticize when people criticize Peterson, I see it a lot. Um, and um, I like, I really see, I really see how this 
affects um, uh, the discussion around Andrew Tate, actually, hmm. because a lot of the problems that when people bring up the issues with Andrew Tate, it's like, oh, he's a misogynist, oh, he's talking crap, always oh, this, always oh, that. A lot of what that is is an immediate judgment and a projection of what they see him doing and how that ideal and how that fits within their ideals. And they're like, this is absolutely wrong. Right. Whereas the young men that are, I mean, I don't think Andrew Tate's, you know, a clear and cut story either way, but what I like the reason why he is a fanatical person, the reason why he's, he has fans, the reason why he has a following is because there are people who didn't look at their life in that way before and who are starting to look at their life going like, oh, that's what it's doing to me. That's what this is happening to me. It's like there is this, in a, in a sense, there is like I've been, they've been going either which way. But now what they're doing is they're taking those moments that they don't pay attention to, those, those violent moments, those competitive moments, those objectifying moments, and now they're reflecting on it and taking it into account. And like, I mean, Peterson was the best. Peterson's been the best at this because, you know, he rattled my life completely. Um, in some sense, I still feel recovering from it. Um, you, you, you don't like when he said, like, you could fill a, you could fill a library with what you don't know. And before that, I did not let myself really think that that much i was like no it is this it is this yeah this is the way that you should behave this is the way that you should do and not knowing really not with any any false intention or anything i started do projecting that ideal onto the world yeah. and started saying that if you don't fit this idea then you're wrong and you know it's it's in that discussion i'm putting myself here but what I'm doing is I'm all I'm seeing is here. Yeah. Whereas if you like when I sort of realized in the smoking sort of way, if I put myself right in the middle, that's, that's where I can see the ideal in the real and where I can also see where the right. real becomes the ideal. And it's that, that process is a, is a strange that's that's where sort of my buddhism sort of kicks in and i realize like it is a, there is a certain surrender that you have to do like i i talk about athens and greece uh judaism and, and greek pantheism i talk about that as the discussion between acceptance and dominance because in some way we have to we have to exist we have to exert our will into the world in order to live but that acceptance that understanding that this is all part of time and it, it is not our body that we're sort of paying attention to we are, we are actually like there is there is an obedience to it like the one thing i've been really appreciating about jacob is learning the Jewish interpretation 
of the Bible. Or at least and it, a I, Jewish interpretation. So yes, you, you make sure you listen to Yosef <laughs> and Hezi there too. Because yes, yes, I did listen to. I was listening to. It's easy. Hezi and it's just, easy to have Jacob be the voice of canonical Judaism until you meet another Jew. Yeah, <laughs> definitely. Same with Christianity. So, yeah, you know, definitely. Same thing. <laughs> yeah, especially the ones with the loudest voices. They're That's just like, right. This is it. <laughs> But like his perspective is is like it is he is reading it like a law and you don't see that in christianity where it's like oh no obey this and then you're all good right it's like it's like if you obey the law you're not good you're actually you're doing your job you're doing the right thing yeah it's not that you're getting rewarded for doing for obeying the law you don't get rewarded for obeying the law you just don't get punished and you don't get judged and it's just like it's 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 a very interesting thing but and i feel like there is there is there is more to that than i'm sort of ready to know yet but i think there is like there is that pr the problem with the secular world is we've kept athens but lost jerusalem because in a lot of senses it's really easy to make an ideal and it's really easy to um think about how things could be better but it's a lot harder to accept things how they are and i think because of that there's the the crisis in masculinity comes from the fact that all we have is the masculine all we have is the dominance all we have is this pushing out into the world and we don't have this acceptance this obedience to um to anything to to nature to society to um stuff like that i mean unwillingly unwittingly we can find ourselves in it um i always like find that that shakespeare quote misery acquaints a man with strange bedfellows <laughs> and you find yourself yeah, with like you're just like all right i didn't that's think i'd have true. to accept it here <laughs> that's very true that's very true well we should we should land the plane on this yeah um, definitely but this was this was this was enjoyable i don't know if this is something that um that you think would be appropriate for me to share on my channel um yeah oh no happily happily okay. um okay. i'll put it up um i'll come better i like i like learning i like re-listening to my conversations because it, i get to pay attention to what i didn't listen to yeah no that's true that's true and also if it gets posted on the channel then what the fun about that is that then others get to play along and you know there's yeah. there's really a lot of good thoughtful people in the comment section who um there's not two there's not very many trolls actually but most of them are good thoughtful people and and you can it's mm. there's some of our some of them are encouraging and it's there's usually something to be learned so yeah definitely well, no, anyway, so Charlie, I'm, time. I'm glad we could. I'm glad we could do this. Sun is coming yeah. up, and um, I've been wanting will... to do it for such a long time. It's it's really really great to actually talk to you finally. Well, I'm I'm glad I'm glad we're able to do this. So, so yeah. you take care of yourself and enjoy and enjoy the day. Yeah, you too, mate. All, All right, right. Take enjoy care. your evening. All right, <laughs> bye, bye, bye.